Amazing thing, we're on a journey. There goes the neighborhood. <laughs> there goes the neighborhood. And we started it two weeks ago, Gabe spoke, and I spoke last weekend about being ordinary radicals, just ordinary people, doing ordinary things, but impacting in super ordinary ways because of a supernatural king. And he gets inside the hearts of man. You know how he does it? He gets inside Tim's heart. He doesn't, he doesn't deal with Tim's outside. Well, Tim, we need you to, to minister on the piano. So he just deals with, teaches him. He gets inside his heart and says, I'm going to birth a worshiper inside of you. And what happens is transformation takes place. Revival comes to our spirit. And transformation begins to happen through our lives because Jesus is on the inside. And so what happens on the outside begins to change and transform. The same thing happens with the church is God begins to birth inside a word, a word like there goes the neighborhood. That's not what the church is. That's not who we are. So he gets inside of us. He begins to work our hearts. He begins to fashion and form us and change us. But then you know what he does? Is he sends us out. You know what the church have been too good at doing? The church, big statement. Too good at throwing grenades at the world. We stand there and we pick Sectors of society that offend us and challenge us and challenge some of our ways. And yes, some of them we are called, like we spoke, to have postures, not um, gestures, not postures. We are called to come against some things, to come against child slavery, to come against some things that are obviously counter the culture and counter what God speaks. But He's not called us to stand on the periphery of society throwing grenades at the world, the world that He died for, the world that He loves. God is shifting our thinking. He is challenging us. That the only way to see reformation and transformation come to the world is when He re revives and ignites the spirit of His sons and daughters and He sends them into the workplace, into the car washes, into the business places, into the libraries, into the schools. And because you are there, revival begins to happen and transformation is what it looks like. Too long the church has stood on the periphery of society and we throw these grenades and say, take that homosexual society. Take that broken and lost and we stand and say. And last week it's amazing how many conversations have happened this week about smoking and tattoos. I didn't realize it was such a big statement. <laughs> Apparently there were whole home groups about it. But it's because... We have to have our eyes open and say, how are we going to love the world? Well, it's not going to be from a distance. I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. Definitely not going to sing it. It's going to be by touching. It's going to be by loving. You know what's amazing is, is right at the start of our Christian walk, the Bible says, well, get baptized. You need to be baptized. And some people do it just they don't even know. And you know, it's still amazing. God does the transformation and we get baptized. You know what's cool about baptism and what shows us something of the heart of community is you cannot baptize yourself. That's called drowning. <laughs> it's not called baptism. And the amazing thing about baptism is someone comes and they have to touch you. And you have to trust them as they lower you into the water. And you have to trust them. You trust in God does something in the water, but you have to trust them to lift you out. And so there's touching. It's not this distant gospel, this distant kingdom that no one ever touches. So we love on families who are going because God has called us to be in the world, touching the world. 
And we settle. And I know I was in a corporate workspace and when someone was in trouble, we were happy sending them off to the counselor. And the business would pay and we were happy sending them off. But you know who has more than the counselor and has more than the person who doesn't know Jesus is a son and daughter of the living God with the Spirit of God inside of them. Just loving them. Maybe you are single and say, I have nothing to give a person who is married and their marriage is in trouble. Can I tell you, you have everything to give? His name is Jesus. And the power of the Spirit of God inside of you. And you're not going to give them five points how to fix their marriage, but you will show them love. And that love will lead them to the ultimate marriage counselor, the one who designed it. I am excited this morning. Church cannot stand on the periphery of society shouting, Where are you wrong? They know where they're wrong. Most of the time. We are not the judge of society. We are the revealers of the love of God. And our mandate is bigger than the four walls of this church. Our mandate is bigger than the comfort zone of our suburb. Our mandate is to make disciples of the nations of the world because the love of God is that big. It's a big mandate. Maybe you didn't know. Maybe you gave your heart to Jesus last week and you thought you're just safe in this little bubble. The kingdom of God will challenge us. And it must challenge us. Like families getting out of their comfort zones to go and see a new thing planted that God is doing. I celebrate that. I, I get very excited when families get excited to go and impact nations that need Jesus. Our mandate is bigger than the four walls on the safety of the church. I spoke last week about what is your vocation. Maybe you're in the, the toy industry and you're saying, well, I just sold toys, but on the weekend I worship God and Wednesday I go to life group. No, you're in an industry because there are people there who need the love of God. And something's got to shift. Something's got to change in our thinking. That church is about me and God and I'm the consumer and God's the giver. The problem is, he says, I put myself inside of you. There's something of Jesus inside of this man. There's the Spirit of God sealing him. No longer can we stand back and say, I've got nothing to give. And so our attitude becomes, to, becomes more like the attitude of Christ. It says, actually, I'll give it all because I love them. It's a radical challenge. It's a radical challenge. And when others say, there goes the neighborhood, the church runs in. Not the church, the name, life changes, run in. The church the sons and daughters of the living God, those with the Spirit of God inside of the church running. And some are from Life Changes and some are from Josh Jen and some are from West Coast, Fam West Coast Family Church. And some are from the Enchir Church and we all rush in because we have the Spirit of God inside of us. And the political walls fall down and the boundary lines fall down and the racial things that have separated fall down because the gospel has to go with power. I am very excited this morning. It's an incredible thing. Jesus raised up a new standard. In John 13 verse 34, he says, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. But by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He changes the game in every perspective. And he deals with this thing. He says, A new command, a new standard Sons and daughters, love. Heidi Baker, we watched a movie on Wednesday night. She said, 
It's an amazing thing. This young 10-year-old girl who had lost her one leg. So her brothers had taken her out of the village and were, were told to stone her because she would be holding them back. And they stoned her, but she didn't die. And she crawled and she crawled until someone took her to Heidi Baker's ministry. And years later, after the gospel got inside of her, she came to Heidi, living in Heidi's house in privilege, experiencing love. She says, I've got to go back to my family. And Heidi said, you can't go back. That's not a family. They tried to stone you. They threw you away. She says, I've got to go back because they need the love of Jesus. Because the love of God is to both love the oppressor and the oppressed. It's a very challenging standard. Without the Spirit of God, we can't do it. Without a revelation of how big God's love is. More than just a little Sunday song we, king, we sing. How high, how wide. It's got to get inside and blow us apart. It's a new standard. It's not my standard. It's not this church's standard. It's Jesus' standard. It's got to challenge us. And this morning, I, um, I want to speak about a subject that, that's not going to be comfortable for anyone. Yourself or myself. It's a subject of prejudice. And the title is How to Lose the World. Because we're trying to win the world. But here's one way to lose it. I went to Zimbabwe two years ago. And I encountered an English man in Zimbabwe. We'd been driving for a long time. I was tired. And he began to speak about repentance. As a changing of our thinking. Repentance as coming back to God's ways of thinking. And he spoke about this thing, prejudice. And to be honest, I didn't listen very hard because I was very tired. But something got inside my heart and I just began to weep. I didn't know what it was. And I went home that night and, and, and there was a heaviness on me. And it came the next morning because it was a conference. And I realized God was dealing with prejudice in my life. I said, but God, I grew up in a home where my parents got investigated because we had black people stay in our homes because my parents understood there were no racial divides. I never experienced prejudice in my home. But I realized there's more ways of prejudice that are more painful and way more subtle than just racial prejudice. And God got into my heart and began to work on this thing of prejudice. And this thing of the standard of God is not our standard. That we compare ourselves to the world around us and just because we've got less prejudice, just because we've got less things wrong in our perspective, that somehow we've got it right. And Jesus says no. Philippians tells us that we might have the same attitude as that of Christ. That is a very high standard. And so this morning I come, I'd love to pray for us. I would love God to do a radical work in us this morning. Not because of my preach. But I know he wants to smash some things this morning that will release his flow in our lives. So often we come and we say, God, do this and do this. And he says, what about this? And he said, no, we'll do this and do this. But his grace and his love have to explode our hearts. Can I pray for us? I just pray Jesus right now. We are just ordinary people coming before an extraordinary God. We lift our hearts and our minds to you this morning. I do it, God. And I pray, explode my heart with your love. Reveal and expose that which the enemy has kept so subtly hidden just under the surface. 
that we might see all that you have for us, God. This morning, King, I pray, Spirit of God, be upon us. Be upon us this morning. Amen. You know the statement, don't judge a book by its cover. Well, why is it such a well-known statement? Because we all do it. Everyone does it. So we go and we look at the books in the bookstore. It's the fanciest thing and the one with the 3D hologram. It doesn't really matter what's inside. We look at the cover. And the problem is that very same thing and that very same prejudice comes into our relationships with people. It's real in our land. Xenophobia happened just the other day in our city. And we know how this happens. We just walk and things begin to form. And you drive. In Durban there is a way higher prevalence of street children than what I've seen in Cape Town. It's every robot, every city, every, every area you go. No area is exempt. And you drive, and eventually the enemy wants to sow. You know what's to say? So well, every street kid is, smoking, is, is, is sniffing glue. Every one of them. So actually don't invest, don't, give, don't even bother about starting anything to love them because they, they're just addicted to glue. And there are these attitudes that get inside the church. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about us. And I met a young man on the beachfront of Durban who was a street kid because his parents had thrown him out. And for 12 years, I walked with that man. He had no front teeth because they'd been knocked out. He couldn't read or write and he was 24 years old. And for 12 years, I was in church with this man. Today, he still can't read or write. But he runs a business supplying services to the, to the municipality of Durban. If prejudice had stolen my heart, I never would have had a relationship with Lucky. I never would have known him. I never would have known that his brother was murdered. I never would have known that his parents had abandoned him. And that he tried to go back and he couldn't go back. I never would have known those things. My heart would have kept that little bit smaller. And there's statements that get thrown around, and maybe you haven't heard them, but I've heard them. Ah, every Nigerian's a drug dealer. And maybe you're Nigerian, you're going, flip, I hear that again. <laughs> I met an amazing man in Durban. And uh, he joined our church. He's a Nigerian man. An incredible man. His name was Peter. He was the top performing ESCOM graduate. And I'm just throwing these things out there. I don't want to offend anyone. I want to offend us. I want to offend prejudice. I want to offend the things that sneak in, that get in so subtly. This is, prejudice is something the church should preach on three, four times a year. Because once you think you've got one thing under control, the next thing pops up. And the Spirit of God wants all of us, and He wants us to have the same attitude as that of Christ. And it's more subtle than that. Oh, Catholics are steeped in religion. I know some Catholics that passionately love Jesus. And, 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 and Pentecostals and Holy Spirit dudes, they just want to run fire tunnels and they don't change anything in society. Or the Reformed dudes don't know anything about the Spirit of God and they're never going to know freedom. This comes into the church. What about the Baptists? What about the Methodists? They got it wrong. They do it this wrong. They don't have electric guitar. Where am I from? Are you from Parklands? Are you from Sunningdale? Are you from Southern Suburbs? Are you from Takai? Are you from... And these just lenses begin to form when we see people. 
Did you study at UCT? Did you go to UNISA? Are you from Zimbabwe? Con- Con- are you Congolese or are you Cape Townian? I mean, what is Cape Townian anymore? The world's so small. Were you adopted? Are you a son of privilege? And it's like every time I meet Tim, I only met Tim, Tim three weeks ago, and there's this Pentium processor in my head that's looking at Tim, and I'm processing him. White male. Looks educated. What are those earrings? <laughs> and it's this processor, and I'm, before I've even said hello to him, before I even know that he comes from an amazing family who worship God, before I even know that he spent years and years serving in another community, before I know any of these things, I've processed We all do it. And the gospel says he gets inside of our hearts to break down the dividing walls because he is our peace. And the church cannot stand on the periphery throwing love bombs supposedly at the world. We are called to go in and bring peace because blessed are the peacemakers because they will be known as the children of God. (laughs) And sometimes generalizing helps. So I don't know mushrooms, right? So some of them can be bad for you and some of them can be good for you. I just don't eat any mushrooms. And that's quite a safe generalization. The reality of that is it has no impact really whether I eat mushrooms or not. I have a major prejudice in my heart as a young man growing up against green things. My father gave it to me. He said, don't eat green things, just eat rice plates and art apples, which for others is rice, meat and potatoes. Just eat those things, son. And I had a prejudice for beans and green things until I met my wife and she smashed the walls of prejudice. But it doesn't really matter if I don't eat green things. The implications are really, really small besides my vitamin D levels and vitamin B and some of those things. The problem is the implications of generalizing with people is radical. Sometimes it's in some of the church. I hate the word them. I, um, I hate the word them. I hate the word they. Already, the minute you say that, there's a dividing line. The minute you say that, there's a lens. Oh, you know, them. And th- they. And maybe I'm processing all of this because God's doing an radical thing in my family. The fun pletsons. My sister's about to have birth with a little guy and he, he looks more like, he's going to look more like Trevor Noah than me. Because the man that she had the child with is a Sutu man. An amazing man. And maybe I'm processing with a different lens that I'm going to love this little guy and I'm going to protect him. And I don't want to hear them and I don't want to hear they. I don't know, but I hope it's more the gospel of God ripping my heart apart. Because the gospel doesn't leave us alone. It tears us apart. Takes our hearts out of us. Puts it on a meat pellet and beats it. So that it would make us soft like his heart. And we live in such an amazing nation. An incredible, incredible nation. And so many things have overcome. And we can't just say, well look at what we did 20 years ago. Look at Stu. He was born in 94. He's a born free he doesn't know what segregation is. He never went to school and there was brokenness. But God's got to keep breaking our hearts for His heart. My point is that this is a big issue. The definition of prejudice is an unfavorable opinion formed against a person or a group based on a stereotype. An unfair, 
unfavorable opinion. And a stereotype means a firm impression. Just a, a mate of mine has a brand called Savior. They make leather products. It takes him one second to make an impression. He's got this tool. He puts it on top of it, and he just hits it once, and it impresses in the leather his brand. You know how hard it is to get that impression out? You know how long it takes? And sometimes it's almost near impossible. And that's what prejudice does to our hearts. A firm impression that settles. My point is here that this is a big issue. Colossians speaks to us, says, put to death all that is earthly in you. Put to death all that is earthly. You've got to unlearn some things. Some of us grew in a regime of the past that was problem. But I, I don't want to just major on racial prejudice because we know that. That's obvious. It's almost too easy to isolate and, and package somehow. We've got to get in at every level, every, every bit of prejudice in us. You know what my prejudice was? When I heard that preach, I realized, I've told you before, when I was 20 years old, my parents got liquidated, we lost everything. All of a sudden, I had to organize student loans, and I was in trouble, and I had to pay for things, and we literally had nothing. I moved from the wealthiest streets in Berea onto just off Ambilo Road, if you know where that is in Durban. It's not a great area. And, um, and I began to walk, and I realized, only years later, that I actually had a prejudice against children of privilege because I'd walked with you I'd been in those circles all I'd known were those circles and then it got torn away from me and all of a sudden it's like yeah rich kids they're lazy their parents pay for their studies their parents buy them cars and I had a prejudice and I lost a great friendship because of my prejudice God has been incredibly gracious to restore some of those things but Jesus doesn't mess around when it comes to prejudice he ongoingly hits it and the first story I want to just look at is John 1 verse 43. And Jesus calls Philip and Nathaniel. He's calling his disciples out. He's going for them. John 1 verse 43. I'll read it. You can read with me. It says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Just two words. Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip from found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and whom the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And there's this amazing account of Jesus. He goes to Philip. He just says, follow me. Philip sees Jesus. Philip doesn't see a man from a town. He doesn't see a carpenter. He doesn't see the son of Joseph. He doesn't see all the lenses that he could have seen. He sees the son of God. He sees the king of kings. He is overwhelmed and he just follows. And he runs to his friend Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, he's here. The one they've prophesied. The one they've spoken about. And Nathaniel, in his comfort and his slumber, looks over and sees Jesus of Nazareth. And makes this incredibly prejudicial statement. Can anything good come from Nazareth? He's talking about Jesus. It's surely the king of kings would have come from the capital cities. Surely the king of kings would have come from the economic hotspots. Surely the king of kings would have come from the top five cities in the world to visit. Surely not from Nazareth. Now the funny thing is, well, 
Philip was so excited, he'd actually got it wrong. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He'd grown up in Nazareth. Philip, in his excitement and his zeal, just said, it doesn't really matter where he comes from. His name's Jesus. He's the Son of God. Follow him. And Nathaniel almost misses it because of prejudice. It's an amazing thing. And then Jesus reveals himself to Nazareth. Nazareth. To, not to Lazarus. To Nathaniel. We have Jesus, Philip, and Nathaniel in this story. I'm very confused. I know you're not. So Philip just follows because he's able to get over his prejudice. Nathaniel stands there and sees Nazareth. We do it every day. Where are you from? Oh, Ralph, you're from Derbs. Lacquer by the sea, all chilled, relaxed. We've got all these perspectives. Where are you from? First thing we ask, where are you from? What do you do? All these lenses that pop out and they're the old way. The Apostle Paul goes into the Corinthians who are running in chaos. There's division, there's disunity, there's chaos in their meetings, there's sexual immorality. And he addresses them at the beginning of Corinthians. Let me get my Bible there to get it right. He sees them not as what they are doing and their past. He sees them in the call of God over their lives. And he begins to speak to them. He says, to the church of God in Corinthians, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and Lord Jesus. I always thank God for you because of this grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and all your knowledge, because of your testimony of Christ. You, have, you do not lack any spiritual gifts. And He just pours over them. He just washes love over them. He knew the chaos that was going on. The very next chapter, he begins to address them. But he starts by the call of God over them. He starts by the identity as sons and daughters of the living God. In every book, in every town he visits, he starts by speaking to the God design over people. It's hugely challenging to me. Nazareth, just a small town, obscure village, tucked away. And it would have been a great cost if Nathaniel couldn't get over his prejudice. He would have missed out walking for three years with Jesus. How to lose the world, make quick and judgmental standards without even trying to find out more. That's how we lose the world. The second scenario is in Acts 9. And I'm shooting through a little bit for time. But we have Saul, the persecutor of the Jews. And Saul was well known for persecuting the Jews. He was well known. Everyone had heard of him. He was excelling at it. He'd made it his mission. And Jesus encounters him. The Spirit of God comes up upon him. He is blinded. And God says, actually, you need to go seek out a man and a nice. And he's going to pray for you and you're going to be healed. And we see the story play out. And Ananias, imagine Ananias. He says to God, I have heard many reports about this man. See, the challenge is we've heard many reports. I've heard things said about me that I don't know where they come from. Honestly. We've heard many reports about people. And we've got ears that are itchy sometimes when we hear. I've heard many reports about all the harm he has done, and, and he had done harm. Ananias was right to believe what he'd heard to your holy people. He had hurt the church. 
says, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. He says, God, how can you call me to go lay my hands and touch this man Saul? He's persecuted your church. He's killed Christians. He's done it for fun, pleasure, and prestige, and all these things. You calling me to go and pray for him, God? Surely not. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus. And he heals him. He goes to the persecutor of the church and says, Brother Saul. Imagine the prejudice inside of Ananias' heart when God says, This man is my chosen instrument. You've got to contextualize it for your own life. You've got to contextualize it in this world. It's got to be real. God can break open any heart. And we have to keep praying for the hardest hearts and the greatest villains that this world has ever known. We have to pray that God will break in and break open their hearts. But we have to be honest and say, will we be part of the answer? Will we go and lay hands and touch them? Who's going to go up to the drug dealers in our city, if not the church, to see them set free? Who will touch them? Who will go into their homes? One of the hardest scenarios I ever had was a Monday morning. I'd preached twice on the Sunday. I was tired. And at 8 o'clock, I got a phone call, a desperation plea, because my number was on the Glenridge answering machine. Please come. Please come. And normally, to be honest, normally those, you, you can't run to everyone. You'll die. But something inside of me rose up. The Spirit of God got inside. I walked into a situation with a friend. There was a lady in prostitution. Her nine-month-old kid was upstairs. Her husband had left her with a pimp. And there was another lady drugged out of her mind. And God sent a believer in there, son of God, to kick the pimp out, to take the other lady out, and to deal with the lady who was crying out for the love of God. And it broke my heart. And in an instant, she handed me a SIM card with all the names of these Lani clients who paid 5,000 Rand for a night. She says, please take this, take the cell phone, please help me out of this life. And God began to do a work of healing and restoration. A husband allowing his wife to, to sleep with people for money, for lifestyle. It doesn't make sense. But God. God's got to, we've got to be those people. God loves the oppressed and the oppressor. Jonah was sent to a city to preach. And even after he had preached, even after people came, he was grumpy about it, that 120,000 people were saved. Prejudice runs so deep, so deep. See, God is creative. God is cool. If He loves variety. You know that? If you want a salad with crab and dog and sweet chili go to asia if you want to see men wearing long pants ladies wearing long pants and guys wearing guys gowns go to china if you want to eat deep fried ice cream go to japan if you want to see men squat to the toilet and ladies stand go to bali god is creative god is colorful look at the animals and all the funny emus and stuff who makes an emu 
What is it? Maybe Adam named it, but who, I mean, what is that animal? What purpose? I'm making light of a subject of diversity. That God has a sense of humor and it'll offend us. That the gospel says it's too small to just see. You see the problem? As I look at Don, and I can like Don. Because I like the me I see in him. Because there's a white male. Because he probably had similar schooling opportunities to me. Because he has a wife and children. Because I like what I see of me in Don. And the gospel gets inside and says it's too small. It's too darn small to just like what you see in people. Do you see what God sees in people? Will you allow your heart to be exploded by the love of God? Because it's a different standard Jesus calls us to. A new commandment. And when we look at people, do we see the Jesus inside? Do you see his fingerprints? His touch? His love? His creation? Every man and every woman made in the image of God. Color, nothing. Demographic, nothing. Financial bank statements, nothing. Every man and woman made in the image of God. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm just saying that's God's standard. Because Ephesians 2, and I'm not going to read the whole scripture, read verse 11 to 18, but it says, For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. The Jews and the Gentiles, they hated each other. And God says, my, my gospel is for both. So I'm going to pull the roughest of the rough out and I'm going to send him out to preach to the Gentiles. Is this too harsh? I, um, I really don't want to be harsh with you, but I really love Jesus. And I really love what Jesus does. And I really love his people. And I really, really love it when he transforms us. And we are all in that transforming process. I'm standing here this morning and I'm thinking of situations this week where I processed people. God's got to get into our hearts. God's got to, he wants to get into our hearts. You know why? Because I want Jesus in my heart. And we are called to be a dwelling for His presence. So He's got to rip down those walls of prejudice. He's got to rip down the walls and comfort zones. He wants to rip down the walls of the church so His gospel can go. So the people just over there, just over there whose lives are broken, and we just meet here. The people just over there, someone will go. Someone will touch, and it's not going to be the pastor. Well, that's the pastor's job. I'm going to bring the unbeliever to the church, and they'll get saved because the pastor is going to preach. That is a lie. Well, I hope it does happen sometimes. But the lie is that you have to bring them to church. The lie is that you can't do it yourself. The lie is that you don't have a story and a testimony of grace that will bring freedom. That's the lie. Each and every son of God does. Just amazing picture, and I'm going to end with this this morning. We come in to worship, and you've got Warwick, a six-foot-something-big man, an MD of a company, with gifting and skill at high levels, in a team with people from other nations, from Zambia. Simon Pretty worshiping. Kiyomi, a lady, where before Jesus, in Jesus' time, ladies were, had no status, no standing. 
on stage leading us in worship. A young man, Tim, who's only been here for three, four weeks, but because of heart link relationship and kingdom links, he's up leading us in worship and dancing like this. Who does that? No one dances like that. And I processed him. So he's going to break our stage. And Jerry, a young man. And Carl, a man from Durban, who's having a rough time right now, but gets up to lead us in worship. And God puts them together and says, because of Jesus, you can come into my presence and this motley crew will lead you. I just love the gospel. Can we stand together? I'm actually going to land it there. Warwick, why don't you come up and just... Um, you know what the biggest keeper from us being walking in the fullness of the gospel is just fear. The root of prejudice, the root of these things is just fear. Fear of the unknown. But Jesus says his spirit drives out fear. It drives out fear and it brings a bigness to our hearts. Maybe we can just play this morning. Maybe actually you've been the, the victim of prejudice. So, it's a radical thing. You know what? who I was before Jesus broke my heart? Before he took my heart? I was a foreigner and an alien to the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of darkness. And he, because of his blood and his love, he pulled me into the kingdom of love. His grace only, his love only, made, took me from the status of an alien and orphan into his kingdom. Only him. Maybe you're a victim of prejudice. Maybe as a lady. Maybe because of your youth in the workplace. Maybe because of your nationality. Maybe because you don't have papers of some form or shape from some government department. I don't know. But I, I want to pray that you would be released from that today. I want to pray that the pain would be released. That you would be free. And I also want to pray, maybe here this morning and Maybe your prejudice isn't race. Maybe like me, it was something subtle, something you don't even know. And as I've been speaking, God is highlighting something. Maybe it's someone who hurt you. And so people who are like them, you process. In the same way, the Spirit of God has to set His church alive. We cannot just keep meeting in the four walls, ministering to people. It takes 60, 70 years to get whole. 60, 70 years to get over a hurt and a pain. Because we'll always be held. We have to get free. We have to say, we believe you, God. We believe you bring freedom and life. And you want to change the city. I honestly don't want to just do church for the next 60 years of my life. And go to heaven and say to Jesus, Jesus, I did church well. I preached well. The music was good. The kids' ministry was good. I don't want to do that. I want to get to heaven and say, Jesus, remember that 10-year-old girl whose family stoned her. We loved her. We took her into our house. We paid for her studies. Because you graced us with your love. Because you exploded my heart. I want to have that story to tell. And this is a... We, I really do love you. 
I really have preached strong this morning because I really do love you. Because I want to see us impact the city of Cape Town and this nation and the nations of this world. Because God gets inside of our hearts and we never the same.